brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome NFL strategy show, second one of the season. We're happy to have everybody with us, as always, as we get set, prepped, and ready for week one, just a couple days away, not including tomorrow night's showdown game between the Chiefs and the Houston Texans. I'm Dave Lochran. Joining me for the first time on the NFL strategy show with awesome Matt Kajeski and Kyle Dvorak. Fellas, the time is almost here. How are we feeling, Matt? Oh, I'm feeling great, man. I feel like we've been waiting for this, you know, since this COVID pandemic started. Is the NFL season going to play? Is it not? And we have it. It's here. I couldn't be more excited. Kyle, it's one of those things, too, where, as Matt just pointed out, we had no idea if we were even going to have football. And granted, it's not going to be in the same. It, it won't be the same as it was before with fans at full of capacity, 60, 70,000 to a stadium, losing their shit, enjoying every single Sunday. But from a fantasy standpoint, we got what we need, man. Yeah, I think there were actually points in the summer where I really was convinced that we wouldn't have football at least on schedule for week one. So just to get it at all is so pumped for me. I'm, I'm just so happy that it actually happened because there were points, like I said, man, I I did not feel great about it. So I'm just psyched, man. So am I. And yesterday's show, if you missed any of it, uh, Ben Rasa, Jazz Raz, uh, Sal Vetri joined me. For Tuesday's show, we broke down everything from a mat or from a, a position by position standpoint. Took a little bit of a matchups approach to it, some top stacks and everything. Today, we're going to look at ownership. And by the way, uh, sorry for the tardiness. My connection is act. I don't know what's going on with Zoom or my connection. It's never happened before. It's very strange. I don't know. The football gods are not on my side to get the season kicked off. But here we are. And yesterday, if you missed that show, check it out. Broke down all of that. Today, we're going to hit on some ownership. Look at first look at that, projections, um, some some top leverage stacks, and, and, and a bunch of just pivots off of the chalk, and we can dive right into it here. By the way, uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, our matchups column is live. 
on uh, awesomeo.com. Matt Savalka did an awesome job breaking everything down. It's free, by the way. It's as in-depth, comprehensive an article for matchups as you're going to find. So check that out as we work our way up to Sunday. Let's kick it off, boys. Matt, I'll start with you. Um, we look at some of the chalk options on this slate, and I don't think it's a huge surprise, but there are a few guys who we'll get to later that are lower owned than I thought. And full disclaimer, ownership will change throughout the week. It's always going to happen. We know that week one, week 17, it's the same thing. You get Tuesday, Wednesday ownership. It's different Sunday before lock. So it's something you want to pay close attention to. But Miles Sanders, Matt, is, or I'm sorry, Christian McCaffrey right now is the only player we've got projected above 20% ownership on DraftKings. So uh, Josh Engelman and I went back yesterday and took a look at how often was he needed last year when he was above 10K. And for the last, I think, nine weeks of the season or eight weeks around that, he was 10K plus. And there was only one week where Christian McCaffrey was in uh, the majority of the top 0.1% of lineups in these major tournaments. And that was a week where he only scored 17 fantasy points. So while we know he's fantastic, how much do we need out of a 10K McCaffrey to get where we need to be in tournaments? Right. So at 10K... He's really an opportunity cost play. I think you just lock him in for cash. There's really not a player in sure. fantasy who has the floor he does. And even with the new coaching staff, we know Joe Brady's coming in. He has a long history of utilizing running backs from Camara back in 2018, had 81 receptions. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year in LSU, 55 receptions there. So we know Christian McCaffrey is going to get the work. When we start looking at tournaments, and just like you mentioned, He's going to come with heavy ownership. I know it's only 20% this week, but we have, you know, all the games, no buys yet. It's still an opportunity cost thing. Would you rather have McCaffrey at 10K or pay for, you know, a guy maybe like Joe Mixon or Miles Sanders who have a similar workload, you know, not the same level floor, but potentially that same ceiling as well. So I think that's the real dilemma you're looking at, but I do think he's probably a lock and load option in cash. Yeah. And Kyle, I don't disagree with that at all, by the way, Matt, but Kyle, when you talk about Christian McCaffrey, does that force, does that funnel certain players into these lineups? Like are the majority of Christian McCaffrey lineups going to end up with Antonio Gibson and Deshaun Jackson and a bunch of other discount options because you need to find a way to work him into your lineup? Yeah, absolutely. And the first one you mentioned, I think is going to be by far the most popular Antonio Gibson out of all of these ways to fit McCaffrey into your lineups. Yeah. It's going to be like such highly correlated that you get Gibson and McCaffrey on the same team. So if I'm looking in tournaments, it's not only that I'm getting off Christian McCaffrey, but you might also have to get off a guy like Gibson. I think Deshaun Jackson, the guy you named, may also fall into that category, but I, I really like Deshaun Jackson. The dude is when he's healthy. Oh, my Lord. He can just put up fantasy points like crazy. Love Last him. year, oh, he's so good for the – I think I took him in our in our season-long draft. I, think I know you did, and I was pretty crushed. upset about that too. <laughs> He's going he's gonna to crush for the four weeks that he's healthy. And last year we saw it was like 154 on eight catches and two touchdowns, plays this terrible Washington defense. So that's, that's a place I think I'd be fine to go because I think it'll be less correlated. I think you'll see so much of specifically Antonio Gibson, Christian McCaffrey. So that's probably a build in tournaments you kind of have to get off of. Uh, like, like Matt said, though, McCaffrey and Cash, why are you going anywhere else? Guys, I got to backpedal for a second. We started the show late. I got a little bit frustrated with everything going on. I totally forgot about our first topic. So uh, Jordan Klein producing the show. Apologize, Jordan. Sorry to make your job more difficult. But we need to touch on this DraftKings best ball debacle. And I, I normally I would just roll with the punches and not even mention it. We, Matt, we can't ignore what happened yesterday. People were pissed off. And I tweeted 
uh, last night that everyone's going to sleep believing that they just drafted the million-dollar best ball lineup. And the reason I said that was, and by the way, if you guys haven't drafted any yet, they're as soft as humanly possible right now. At this current time, yesterday and today, because DraftKings gave away free tickets in a targeted promo to tens of thousands of people. I was drafting lineups, getting uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the third round. I watched Cooper Cup go eighth overall. Someone tweeted me saying Tom Brady went first overall in a couple of drafts. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. But people who have been volume drafting for the last month that are maxing this out, they've got to be really pissed off. Yeah, I mean, like rip to those guys. Those are the customers I think you you want to try to please to, and DraftKings definitely did not do that. And, you know, in addition, all the slow draft timers, they moved over to 10 minutes, so you got people that weren't aware of that now making auto-draft picks. So people that are injured, people without a role, players that are just higher up the DraftKings rankings are, are going as well. But yeah, this is the best time to absolutely get into draft. So if you've got some of those tickets, make sure you're taking advantage of them. With the variance, you said the million-dollar lineup is probably you know picked today, tomorrow, in the coming days. I'm not 100% sure about that just because of variance, but these teams are certainly going to be more front-loaded and stronger, I, I would imagine. But not a great situation for DraftKings right now. No, not at all. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying that I think it will be drafted in today or, or yesterday, but that most people who just drafted that have any clue what they're doing probably think uh, it's going to be today and it's going to be there or yesterday and it's going to oh, be yeah. their lineup because yeah, Kyle, there were, I, I, I drafted a team just to give you an idea. Like I had a slow draft. I, I'm an idiot. This, I did a bunch of them and this one I didn't know was a slow draft. Uh, and so I'm still going. But my first picks were Alvin Kamara, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, David Johnson, Adam Thielen, T.Y. Hilton, Will Fuller, uh, Darren Waller. It, just, just get everything you want. It's 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 almost sad that it's come down to this because you're drafting with a lot of people that are getting free tickets. They're throwing caution to the wind, or they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think you named seven guys there, and that is like seven guys I'd probably have in the first four borderline four exactly. rounds, two first rounders, like two two top six ish first rounders too. And I think the saddest part about it is is that I live in a state where I can't freaking play. I can't even get in on this. So everyone's complaining really? you about. You can't play that. basketball. I can't play DraftKings basketball. It's not playable in Ohio. Wow, I thought it was the same across all. I did not know that. So you can no play, under, yeah, underdog is the same way too. Yeah, you have to like license. You have to like get the license to do it. So I can play. I can play underdog actually, but I can't play. Uh, at least when it first came out, I couldn't play. I, I haven't checked if I maybe I can't. Huh. So you can play yeah. DFS, but you can't play basketball. Yeah, and I think uh, I think like a handful of other states are like that too. With um, I think like maybe like Missouri is one of them because I've heard people in DFS circles say they can't play best ball there, and it's only specific best ball sites too. It's whoever has or has not like gotten their apparently best ball license. I don't know what the what the actual licensing is. But yeah, it's like apply for licensing, and they didn't freaking do it in Ohio. Wow. Well, I just wanted to get that out to everybody. I, I think I feel like we'd be doing you guys a disservice by not mentioning it. Uh, if you haven't drafted any teams yet, maybe you wanted to but weren't sure or you just forgot about it, uh, trust me, there's no DraftKings promo here, no sponsorship whatsoever. Uh, just me being kind, one person to another, extending that olive branch, letting you know that there's some really soft drafts happening right now. All right, let's get back to it. Uh, Kyle, I'll stick with you for a second here. Miles Sanders coming in with the second highest ownership. I'll tell you, yesterday I was very hyped about him. I, I still think he's underpriced in relation to where a lot of these other players are. 
But now you've got Doug Peterson coming out this morning. Uh, as we talk, if you're just joining us, welcome. Hit that thumbs up button if you haven't done so yet. We're talking ownership and some top-owned guys and some pivots after that. Miles Sanders, we get news today that Lane Johnson might not be active. And somehow this Eagles medical staff has, has worked wonders again in getting the entire team injured before this season starts. Uh, what a miserable experience this is for somebody like myself. And maybe for Miles Sanders, the Washington Redskins have a solid defensive front, and now you could be without uh, your your best tackle. Look, not as much in terms of run blocking, but overall he provides a lot of solid. Like he solidifies that line. Uh, Dillard's done for the year. Could this be an issue for them if Lane Johnson doesn't play, knowing that they already have struggles? And will Miles Sanders be worth that high ownership? Yeah, it's super interesting. He's a guy that I think, even with these concerns, is worth the price. Like the price you're paying for, for sure. him is perfect. But it's just it's ownership, and I think this enters like this enters so much fragility into his projection on top of the fact that he has a great receiving back backup in Boston Scott on top of the fact that Miles Sanders himself is obviously injured. He's going to play week one, but at what capacity? So as much as like, I am, I'm one of the biggest Miles Sanders stands you'll ever find. I think he's one of the up and coming elite running backs, but like in a tournament setting, my talent take just shouldn't matter. It's it's about, you know, strategy and ownership projection and there's so much fragility entering his ownership projection because of the offensive line issues because of a very solid Washington front seven. As you mentioned, they have just been bulking up with like top five pick top 10 pick all of these guys adding up most recently chase young. So yeah, I think like just in terms of pure strategy, I might actually just have to get off of him because there's so many outs to him failing this week. Matt Kyle makes some good points and, and I really don't want to get away from Sanders because I think we all would agree that when we first pulled up DraftKings and looked at salaries you're like, oh, Miles Sanders, 6,300, that's insane, whether that be three weeks ago or whenever they released him. But now things seem to be trending in the wrong direction. Uh, I, I can't help but think that maybe DJAX is the way to go here at 4,900. Granted, it's a different spot. Miles Sanders ran almost 30 routes per game over the final six weeks of the season. So there is some pass-catching upside here. But do we want to rely on that, and are we concerned about the ground game now that he is projected to be the second highest though, not running back, but player on the entire slate on DraftKings? I think you're certainly concerned. And you mentioned Lane Johnson. He's not the only offensive lineman with an injury. I think you mentioned Dillard as well, but they also do not have Brooks. So they're down three starting yeah, offensive linemen. Too, right? Yeah, so they're down three starting offensive linemen right now. I mean, they they do have Peters coming back. Luckily, they're going to have him at left tackle. I know he's, he's 38 years old right now and going to try to defend Chase Young. So we'll see how that goes. And this Washington defense, really underrated. You mentioned some potential leverage spots here with Deshaun Jackson. I, I think he's a good play, but I actually want to look maybe to a tight end in Dallas Goddard. This is something we saw Philly do a lot last year, move over to more 12 personnel packages. Everyone loves Ertz. Ertz is, Ertz is projected as one of the highest on tight ends on the slate too. If Goddard's going to take on an expanded role with, you know, Rager's potentially out, it looks like he's not coming back till week two. I don't see anywhere else this Philly offense turns, but to move forward with more 12 personnel. Goddard, he only fell below the 60% snap share on one occasion from week eight onward last year. And he was above 80% in six of those games. I think he's a really nice option at 4,100. Yeah, look, We'll get into pivots shortly as well, and maybe we can dive into this a bit more. But uh, I'm on the same page as you. They don't have Alshon Jeffrey either. Granted, his, his, he's in seemingly the twilight of his career, but Alshon Jeffrey's on the pup list as well. So it, all in all, they're, they're down several offensive weapons, two receivers that would have been used pretty heavily. My guess is they lean real heavy 
on Deshaun Jackson, on Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. Uh, and we did see Dallas Goddard last year become more involved as the season progressed. And that was a, a lot of the reason was they were just down a lot of options. But you look at his target counts early in the season, you didn't see much. And, and you mentioned snap counts rarely fell below 60%. He was targeted uh, six plus times in each of his last seven games and eight, 10 and 12 times over his final three games. Uh, he's, he's young tight ends take a while, at least usually to, to kind of evolve and, 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 um, and mature in an NFL offense. And I think we began to see that particularly towards the end of the season for Dallas Goddard. Uh, he could be a very strong play this week at a discounted price, especially if Ertz is the one that gets a lot of this ownership. Let me move on to another running back who's getting a ton of ownership, Kyle. Alvin Kamara. I'd love to get your take here because there, it, there's two sides of this coin. On one side, Tampa Bay got ravaged pretty good by pass catching backs and really just th their secondary last season overall, or I should say their pass defense was one of the weakest in the league. Their run defense was as stout as it gets. They did a phenomenal job of smothering opposing rushers. Uh, and, and, and Alvin Kamara was no exception at 7,200 with his ownership do you like this in a game that has one of the higher totals on the slate, but it hasn't really separated itself. It's not like it's got a 57 total 56 total and all these other games are sitting around 45 or 46. I think it's at 49. And then you got a bunch of other games sitting between 45 and 48. Yeah. I do think this game is like going to be the crux of the slate is how you choose to approach this one. Cause I think it, it, it's shaping up to be almost certainly the most popular game, especially when you get two offenses, you get the, the hype around Tom Brady, I do think this is the game where you have to make a stand. For me, I think I would probably be interested in just trying to get unique and going into this game, get like a Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and maybe Emmanuel Sanders stack. You can run it back with a handful of guys. I think my choice would be Chris Godwin. But I think as opposed to trying to get off of this game entirely, I think you can get fine enough leverage by just being different in the way you attack this game. For me, like I said, I think Emmanuel Sanders still has a lot of juice. We saw his efficiency tick up when he moved to San Francisco. He's a guy who just needs a good quarterback. Now getting one of the all-time great quarterbacks in Drew Brees. So for me, I would probably not shy away from the chalk here because I think I, I think I can do a good enough job getting different and still attacking this game beyond Alvin Kamara. How about you, Matt? With this game in general being the, the crux of, of how this slate breaks down, I think there's a lot of there's a big argument to be made there. I, I would lump Seattle and Atlanta in it as well. Yeah. I definitely think this one's going to see quite a bit of ownership across the board on both sides of this game. Yeah. And you know, Kamara has high ownership. Michael Thomas has high ownership. There's going to be a lot of guys that are just really high owned in this game. A lot of people trying to game stack this environment. I think I would rather move on somewhere else. I, I think we have two defenses that are underrated here. How much does Tom Brady have left in the tank on the other side? You know, if if New Orleans really runs this up here, do they put in Latavius Murray and run him a little bit more? And you mentioned the run defense. Just I know Alvin Kamara is a fantastic receiving back as well, but mostly this Tampa Bay defense is is healthy now. Levante David, he's back on the team. I think I'm just probably going to try to eat the chalk with Michael Thomas rather than Kamara here. But I, I, he's going to carry some high ownership as well. So it, it's tough to game stack this environment, not to mention the price on both of these guys. If you're going to stack like a breeze, Michael Thomas, that's 9K. If you want to run it back with someone on the other side, Chris Godwin or even Mike Evans, how much do you really have left to round out the rest of your lineup? Right. I have some interest in Emmanuel Sanders too. 
He came over from a San Francisco team that really didn't utilize him much. They just leaned so heavily on the run. This could be a spot where, regardless of whether or not Drew Brees has a lot left in the tank, that he's going to be forced to throw more. And I think that will be the case. Uh, generally speaking, Michael Thomas has been the one to do everything for this team and for good reason. But they haven't had a ton of other secondary options. Like Traquan Smith, I still have some belief that this guy can avoid being a total bust. But, you know. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Maybe that's just, I, I think us in the football world, like in the analyst world, we all just want him to be good and it hasn't happened yet, but they haven't had much. Ted Ginn, like, okay, once in a while. I think I think Manny Sanders can provide a boost to this offense that, that we haven't seen yet. Matt, let me stick with you. Uh, chalk at tight or at wide receiver. This is surprising to me and it's disappointing because I really, really liked the Colts as what I thought would be a potentially low owned stack going into this game. Everyone says rivers is toast. His arm is shot. Who wants to go near them? Well, I do. Apparently a lot of people like T Y Hilton too. He is right now projected for the most ownership at the wide receiver position. And they have a total coming in around 27 points against Jacksonville. And I, I knew right away you were going to bring up T Y Hilton. So there, I love a- this team this week, man. I just wish they were lower owned. Yeah, man, I, I, there's a lot of reasons why they're coming in with such high ownership. They're, they're playing the Jags. And, of course, they're big favorites, eight-point favorites already. The Jags' defense is arguably the worst in the NFL. Just some of the guys T.Y. Hilton's going to run up against here. Trey Herndon, first-round rookie C.J. Henderson, and D.J. Hayden in the slot. It's not exactly the most formidable secondary in the world. But now Phillip Rivers comes in, and I know you and I have talked about this at length, the upgrade he provides over Jacoby Brissett. And we know, you know, Phillip Rivers isn't close to what Andrew Luck was, but even just comparing these two last year, Rivers, 7.8 yards per attempt. Brissett was 6.6. Rivers completed 66% of his passes. Brissett was down at 60.9. When the Colts had Andrew Luck, we saw them kind of embrace more of a faster offense. They were passing the ball a little bit more. They were second in overall pass attempts in Andrew Luck's final season. I think they returned more to that. I think they'll be more balanced than last year. I, long way of saying I think that's a lot of the reason T.Y. Hilton's ownership is actually propped up a little bit here when you, we might have expected him to be lower. Yeah. Look, yeah, right. You and I did that podcast a couple of weeks ago and touched on the Colts. Kyle, I haven't, we have, you and I haven't spoken about this much yet. Do we, do we trust, because I, to, to back up just for a moment here, just because a team might have some ownership doesn't mean that you know, we have to full fade them. If it's a really good spot, you know, and there's good ways to run it back or there's ways to differentiate ourselves within that same offense, then I'm still willing to get there. Do we trust that that Frank Wright 
last year was basically just working and catering this offense to Jacoby Brissett's skill set, which was very limited, and now has T.Y. Hilton back and healthy, has somebody in Phillip Rivers who, despite his deep ball looking ugly with more interceptions on it than any other uh, quarterback last year, he's still willing to throw it. Like, is this an offense that we should expect to rebound considerably this season uh, and particularly in week one? Yeah, so I do think we should expect them to rebound. Like like you said, it, Frank Reich was catering to Jacoby Brissett's best assets, which were handing the ball off. That's his <laughs> best asset. He's not a guy you want to be throwing the ball. Uh, so even though Philip Rivers is on the wrong side of father time, I do think he's on the downward decline. I would expect on the whole this offense to both look more balanced because they don't have to hide their quarterback as much and i would expect them to generally just just throw more and run more plays because good offenses get to run more plays but in week one when you've got such an unknown situation entering week one and you're going to see people so confident in projecting ty hilton he's a guy that i actually i think i want to fade like he's a guy who also thrives on the deep ball what did philip rivers lose last year he lost his deep ball he was terrible you like you brought it up through more interceptions on deep balls he was like 33rd and pass rating on passes 20 yards down the field he is not, at this point in his career, at least from what we saw last year, a good match for T.Y. Hilton. So when I can find a reason, like very strong reasons to fade a high-owned guy like that, I'm probably going to end up doing it, especially because I think there are some chalk spots at running back I might be looking to, like a guy like Alvin Kamara. So for me, that probably means I have to get off a guy like T.Y. Hilton. And I do think Jonathan Taylor could be an interesting leverage play if they do choose to run the ball, and if he is like the incredible running back that he was built to be coming out of Wisconsin. Yeah, I actually, when making groups on Cruncher, I just started making my groups this morning. I had um, Taylor and Mac in the group. Now, likely not going to get many because it would be running it back in Minshew stacks, which in that case means you have to play outside of DJ Shark. If I'm if I'm forcing two pass catchers into the line into the the stack with my quarterback as is the with the key, that means that it's probably going to be what Shark and Conley or or. I don't know. I saw D.D. Westbrook's like the fifth number five receiver on this team. Now they really don't have much. So I don't see that happening, but I was willing to to run it back with Taylor or Mac. Obviously don't want either of them in the same lineup ever, but it, it it's, it's, it's a spot now, Matt, where we could look towards if T.Y. Hilton's going to be this popular. I still want him in, in most of my rivers lineups. I'm going to have a tough time getting away from that. Uh, Jack Doyle is someone who, without Eric Ebron, I believe is going to be effective. Frank Wright has done a phenomenal job of incorporating very good tight end usage, and so is Philip Rivers throughout the entirety of their careers, both at the helm and under center for Rivers. But Paris Campbell, people are hyped on him. I don't know if I'm fully buying into it, but he's very cheap. Uh, and then Pittman's a guy that they took pretty early in the draft. How do we incorporate incorporate them into the stacks? Are there ways that we can get different with the Colts and still have exposure to an offense that has a total upwards of 27 points. Yeah. I like Taylor for, for what that's worth backing off what Kyle said. I, I'm not sure how much run he's going to get in week one, but he is a guy that can catch passes. And I don't think Naheem Hines will be fairly involved going forward. As far as the receivers, Paris Campbell does have a lot of hype. He's the, the favorite to run out of the slot here after just an injury riddled first year. I think he's probably the guy you look to second. He's more of a gadget guy as well. So Whereas T.Y. Hilton is someone that you expect to be running these downfield routes, maybe where Phillip Rivers doesn't excel. Paris Campbell, he's someone that you can get the ball into his hands, maybe look to some yards after catch, plays like that. And he's cheap on both sides. So if you're looking for a cheap stack or just a double stack, I think it'd probably be Campbell or just looking at Doyle without Trey Burton, just 
old reliable with the Phillip Rivers tight end in this offense. Show some love to these guys if you're watching the show. They really know their stuff. I'm happy to have both of you guys on board for sure, man. Uh, we were very happy to bring you on. Just hit them up on Twitter. Follow them at Kyle Tweets here. I like that. And uh, Matt Gajeski, Matt underscore, sorry, Matt underscore Gajeski. If you're not following me yet, at Lafayette underscore D, L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. Uh, hit you guys with one more here, and then let's get to some pivots. I think this will be the fun part. But before we do, Kyle, Devontae Adams. The Green Bay Packers decided that they don't like him or Aaron Rodgers because they decided to draft a first-round quarterback and a second-round running back, giving him virtually zero help at the wide receiver position. We're talking about Marquez Valdez-Scantling and, and Alan Lazard. These are your these are your twos and threes. I guess Lazard, two, Valdez-Scantling, three, but what does it matter? Uh, it's it's it, Maybe two years ago, this would have been a particularly difficult matchup for Devontae Adams. Uh, especially when Rhodes was 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 playing his best football, but I, I do think that it it is a lot less a lot less entice or a, a lot more enticing now than it would have been, just given the fact that the volume here has to be massive. I mean, outside of Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams, what guys can they really lean on game to game, especially in a, a divisional matchup that should be competitive as it usually is. Yeah, what they did to or didn't choose to do to Aaron Rodgers this offseason is criminal. The guy is in like the final years of his prime and they're like, you know what, give him a give him a non-pass catching running back. And I think they took like an H back in the third round, like a quote <laughs> tight end. Like it, he's just going to play fullback and, and catch two passes every three weeks. So that is not good for Aaron Rodgers and not good for this like team building concept. Oh, but baby, it is great for Devontae Adams. You mentioned it. Like, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a guy they have wanted to break out. He has consistently been unable to separate himself in camp from Alan Lazard. Like, there's all this buzz around him from, from like, the beat reporters in Green Bay that they want him to break out. But Alan Lazard seems to be the guy who's had a quietly better camp. I think they picked Alan Lazard up off of, like, Jags training camp or Jags practice squad. So, like, the guys behind him are nobody's absolute nobody's like Aaron Jones might as well be this team's receiver too. And he sort of operated as the receiver one when Devonte Adams is out. All this is leading to me, me to say that Devonte Adams is just discount. Michael Thomas, like a big discount on DraftKings too. It's like 17 or, or 1800 to go down from Michael Thomas to Devonte Adams. I think you can reasonably expect Devonte Adams to lead the entire NFL in target share. Of course, I think the saints are probably going to run more passes, but overall, I think you can get very similar output to Michael Thomas just by pivoting down to Devontae Adams. Kyle, let me ask you about another player here because I don't want to take all day. But at tight end, talking chalk, there really is not much. Uh, and one thing, one thing Kyle mentioned, Matt, is the the pricing differential from like the disparity. Sorry, from Thomas to to Adams is huge. From McCaffrey to Dalvin Cook is twenty one hundred dollars. And then from Kittle down to Andrews as your first and second highest price guys is 7,200 to 6K. Zach Ertz is 5,800, uh, which you mentioned moments ago. He's getting ownership here. And when you sort by position, you look at tight ends, you've got Ertz coming in around 15%, Andrews at 12, Kittle at 10, Waller at 10. You've got four guys north of 10% at the position. Uh, do any of these st guys stand out to you as solid options? 916 yards on essentially the same role. I think he probably sees the most consistent volume. One guy I do think you need to monitor. He is the most expensive tight end on the slate. It is George Kittle. What happens with Brandon Ayuk? What happens with Debo Samuel? They're both looking questionable for week one. 
If neither of them play, George Kittle could just see absolutely monstrous volume in that offense. So like you mentioned at the top of the show, ownership evolves throughout the week. Watch the San Francisco situation. That's something I'll be watching throughout the week. You guys ready to talk some pivots? This Let's is always the it. fun part. All right. So we, we're not going to hit on all of our chalk options, especially premium subs, having these ownership projections. Can't give everything away, right? And you load these in the Fantasy Cruncher. Actually, if you had the Fantasy Cruncher add-on with us, you don't have to load anything in. It's already preloaded. And this is the last day. For anybody wondering, this is the last day to get the uh, amazing promo that we have with using the promo code SLEEPER at checkout, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. If you haven't been around, if you're just tuning in now, uh, or if you're just getting familiar with Awesome O and and checking out our NFL content, don't really pay attention to NBA or MLB, uh, it's 25% off our monthly Awesome O Plus NFL package. So everything for NFL, ownership, projections, the, the top stack tool, which is wildly important, uh, all of these created, developed, and used by Alex Baker himself, the number one ranked DFS player in the world for a very good reason. You have other sites that might slap the, somebody's name on something, and then he's using something entirely different. That's not the case. These are the same tools that he uses to become the best player, to win egregious, uh, egregious enviable amounts of money seemingly all the time. Uh, all of those tools, 25% off the monthly package by using Sleeper, but you get Awesome's Fantasy Football Draft Kit completely free so it's huge for best ball right now with DraftKings. like i said you got opportunities to put up some really really great lineups we've got an awesome draft kit with everything you need to crush your drafts whether it's your friends or people you've never met and the 35 dollars free credit to ffpc fantasy football players championship where you could go in best ball drafts huge prize pools 35 dollars free credit it's an 80 dollars value for 38 dollars if you include the 35 dollars in credit it's like 80 dollars for three dollars by using that promo code sleeper at checkout, $25 monthly or 25% off the NFL monthly all access pass, uh, plus the awesome fantasy football draft kit and $35 in free credit to FFPC. What do you have to lose, right? Today's the last day. Jump in on that. Uh, and use the promo code sleeper at checkout. Uh, awesome.com slash join. We'll get you where you need to go. All right, guys, let's talk about a few players that, that might be going overlooked here that we can look to towards as pivots. Uh, I want to start with 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 you, Matt, and talk about McCaffrey here. So we know in cash, McCaffrey makes a ton of sense. Both of you guys stated that you just lock him in, you move on. I agree with that. But there's also a lot of quality talent at running back that appears to be going somewhat overlooked. Now we're going to see uh, we're going to see ownership change. That's the case. But if you scroll down a little bit, you have players around seven percent like Chris Carson, and I'm just going to throw names out, feel free to run with them, in a game that has a high total, that's going to be very popular. He's not particularly popular. Raheem Mostert, is there going to be a timeshare between him and Coleman? I don't know, but I do know that he's not getting a ton of attention. Nick Chubb against Baltimore, going widely overlooked at sub 4%, and the list goes on. Who do we look to in spots where, in tournaments, we just want to be different, but we know that these could be workhorse backs in close games getting 20-plus carries, or if the script gets away from them, Matt, out there on third downs being used as an extension of the run game to try and get these teams back into the mix. Right. You mentioned a lot of really good names. I'm going to stick with Carson. A lot of it is for the game environment reasons, of course. That game has a 49-point total. Seattle is a small road favorite here, so game script projects to be in his favor. 
The one worry you have with Chris Carson, that's why it's potentially depressing his ownership, is the Carlos Hyde signing. There have been rumors that Carlos Hyde might mix into this backfield a little bit. You know, Chris Carson had the hip this offseason. He has been practicing. But if you're looking for just straight-up leverage, I think Russell Wilson will be a little higher owned, and he has good stacking options with Lockett and Metcalf. If you're looking for the pure leverage, we did see Chris Carson function in a bell cow role when he wasn't fumbling that away during the, the last year's season. So he'd be someone I particularly look at for, for leverage here. I think he's my favorite play when you get to that sub 7% ownership range at the running back position. Kyle McCaffrey and Antonio Gibson, by the way, DraftKings decided to make minimum salary at running back 4k now and 3k a wide receiver, which has always been the case, but running backs a little bit different. Uh, McCaffrey and Gibson equal 14,000. If you were to take it, I'm just going to throw out a couple random names. If you were to take Nick Chubb and you were to take say Josh Jacobs, in what should also be a potential shootout. You're looking at 13-3. I'm not saying these guys are going to be overlooked entirely, but what is the merit to going with two of these pretty solid mid-range guys over McCaffrey and Gibson, which will probably be the most popular running back pairing on DraftKings? Yeah, so you you let off the show with it. You didn't absolutely have to get, and in fact, it wasn't particularly common that in the second half of the season, when you saw McCaffrey get this expensive, you just it's it's so much of your cap gets tied down to one player, regardless of if it's Christian McCaffrey. He's so good. But like the numbers, the numbers bore it out. You didn't have to have him. And then really all you're banking on at that point is that like Gibson comes out and just he's on a terrible offense. He, Dwayne Haskins was awful for all but like his final two games. There's a lot of paths for Gibson to fail just because he's a rookie in a truncated offseason. His team didn't even list him as the starter, although I don't really believe that J.D. McKissick is the true starter. But like there are a lot of ways for him to fail. And we saw McCaffrey is just that price is so prohibitive to making these like top 0.1% lineups. So for me, that's probably why you would pivot off is because it seems like there are a lot of outs to success for these mid-owned or these mid-cost running backs. I love the Chris Carson call. I think there is a very solid chance that, like, if he just – if they get up to an early lead, we've seen Brian Schottenheimer and Pete Carroll love to establish the run and just grind out Chris Carson in the second half of games. If he pulls into the end zone once or twice early in this game with Atlanta in a team they're in a game that they're favored in, he could easily get, like, a 25-plus carry game. And also, Matt said, he got, like, it was a career year in terms of receiving for him. One other guy I want to talk about because I think he's going to be maybe the lowest-owned premium running back is Nick Chubb. And overall, the game doesn't set up to be good for him. They're, they're minus, I think they're minus eight right now, dogs in Baltimore. Was this not, like, the exact same scenario that he annihilated Baltimore yeah. last year? Was it even in Baltimore? And I would assume at this point they'd become dogs. Like, Nick Chubb is incredibly talented, and this offensive line is maybe one of the single craziest turnarounds year over year, getting Jedrick Wills on the left, getting Jack Conklin on the right. Like, there is, it is strictly a tournament play because Kareem Hunt is almost certainly going to vacuum up all the targets out of the backfield. But we literally saw this exact same thing pan out last year when he goes to Baltimore and just runs over them. So I think in terms of just the, the tournament strategy to get a guy with incredible upside like Nick Chubb at what, like two, three, four percent when there's going to be such chalk at running back like Miles Sanders, like Alvin Kamara. I think you have to at least have some Nick Chubb in your bills. Oh, no question. I'm I'm all about it, especially because I think the Browns are actually going to be good this year. Yes. Uh, and yeah, somebody somebody commented on yesterday's show said that, oh, just more clickbait bullshit from fantasy sports sites. Because we said we thought the Browns might be decent this year. That's not a hot take. 
That's not clickbait. They could. You have Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, uh, Stefanski's a, a seemingly an upgrade from whoever you had before. Like literally, a, anybody's an upgrade from um, was a, a Kitchen, uh, Freddie Kitchens, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Conklin and Jedrick Wills, they have a lot of talent on both. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Sides of the field. I actually already have Cleveland. Uh, I took the points with Cleveland in week one. So if I think this game's going to stay close and I have serious concerns about how good Baltimore's secondary is, that should the, just the, the the logical direction you should take there is all right. Maybe Nick Chubb is the guy to go here if we think this game stays competitive. Um, we had a good question in chat, Matt, and I want to I want to touch on this. It was where is it? Where is it? Uh, well, that's good. What a host I am, right? Okay, here we go. Ryan says Ryan Grunow says RB chalk isn't that important to fade though, right? So I, I want you to answer this, Matt, but I, I'll provide my take on it quickly. In most cases, no. If you're comparing it to tight ends or wide receivers where they're a lot more volatile and the workload generally isn't nearly as guaranteed. Uh, With running backs, someone like McCaffrey, 99 times out of 100, you can count on the workload being there. You can count on the opportunities both on the ground and through the air being there. Sure. But I think what we're talking about here is with Christian McCaffrey, you're going to be funneled into a lot of the same plays around him. But not only that, it's not about fading Christian McCaffrey for the raw points, but it's do we need to pay 10K plus for Christian McCaffrey? And what does he need to be able to get us where we need to go? Matt, what's your take on, on fading our running back chalk compared to other positions? Yeah. yeah. Look, man, I think people want these set in stone rules for DFS. Like you stack your quarterback, your receiver, you want to correlate your defense with your running back. You don't want to fade the running back chalk, or at least you don't have to. I think there's bigger questions you should be asking. One is an opportunity cost question. Who's on the slate? Who are your other options? What are their prices? It's week one. Aside from the Island games and the Sunday night games, we have every running back on the slate. There aren't very many injuries. So there are options across price points. We mentioned a couple already, Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon. I mean, Chris Carson, even some guys a little cheaper, like James White could see some elevated volume with Sonny Michelle getting eased into action. We do have other options. There are cheaper touches, running backs that have a similar ceiling to Christian McCaffrey as well. And the the second half of this is the ownership part you mentioned. With McCaffrey, how many other lineups are you going to go into tournaments just completely holding hands with? It's a lot. Yeah, it's it's a ton, Kyle, which I think is is why we 
you kind of need to point out what it's going to look like. And I think you mentioned it at the top of the show too, that Gibson will be the most popular pairing with McCaffrey. Would you not be shocked if he wasn't? Yeah, those two guys' ownership is going to be like incredibly correlated. I think both are going to be popular, but the fact that they both come on this exact slate where you want 10K McCaffrey and Gibson is the like only viable paydown option. Yes, that specific pairing is probably going to be the most popular pairing on the entire slate. Do we need to to get cute with discount running backs, Kyle? Like, is is there anybody cheap enough? that isn't getting any attention that we want to look towards, or does it seem unnecessary for week one? No, I actually think it does seem unnecessary. And especially, I don't think there are great, like great options. We, Matt said it, we actually had like a, a very healthy offseason. I guess, like ironically in the, the time where the world has the least health, that meant our players had the most health somehow. I don't like, I go figure. So we really didn't have any crazy injuries that opened up a ton of value since the, the pricing came out. I think it's fine to just live in that middle range of your Chris Carson's, your Nick Chubbs, if you want to eat the chocolate Miles Sanders or Alvin Kamara. I think those are all fine plays, and that's really the range where I want to live in because I think I'm getting these bell cowbacks. I think I'm getting a close approximation to like a to a Dalvin Cook, to a Christian McCaffrey, as much as one can do that. Matt, the the few guys that are somewhat discounted outside of Gibson that are getting a little bit of attention would be Tariq Cohen. And I don't know what David Montgomery's status is yet. We'll pay attention to that. Chris Thompson, not getting a lot, but he's at least he's at least registering, right? He's at least on the board. Uh, and then Korean Johnson, where is Korean Johnson coming in at? 4,400, uh, obviously contingent upon what we see with DeAndre Swift. And they did bring in Adrian Peterson, but who knows what's going on there. Uh, all of those guys are, are pretty low owned. Those are the few players that I'd be willing to at least have a conversation about. Uh, Kyle says it's unnecessary. In, in most cases, I largely agree with him. Is there merit to to doing, to say, all right, let me roster Christian McCaffrey, but instead of Gibson, because we have him at 11% to 10% right now, I still think that rises somewhat dramatically. Uh, is there merit to saying, all right, well, I'll go with a 4K Chris Thompson at Four percent, or a Korean Johnson at forty four hundred at two percent. Anybody down there worth getting away from Gibson for? There's some merit to it. We see some of these games every single year. Two years ago, Tariq Cohn was in the Millionaire Maker lineup in Week One, not the Tariq Cohn without David Montgomery too. That's why Tariq Cohn has some ownership here. So right. depending on the status of David Montgomery, you're going to see that either rise or decline. As for the other guys you mentioned, you know, like. Chris Thompson's probably the best play out of the Jags backfield They're projected to lose that game by over a touchdown. He has familiarity with Jay Gruden, their new offensive coordinator, and he's almost exclusively a pass catching back. Does he have a huge ceiling to win you a million dollars? I doubt it. I'm more likely if I'm rostering Christian McCaffrey just to get a little different in other places, but we'll see how the week goes on. There are a few injuries to monitor Cohen, especially carry on Johnson. That's a situation where he was banged up in camp. Deandre Swift was banged up in camp. And I think that's what prompted the Adrian Peterson signing. So I don't know, maybe you watch the injury report there, but ultimately I agree with Kyle. Okay. I guess we're all mostly on the same page here. Things will, things are going to change if Swift did and Montgomery are out, but then ownership is just going to spike anyway. So it, it it's not like one, it's not one, there's a direct correlation there. If one happens, the other is is absolutely going to happen. Maybe it brings Gibson down a, a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit, Kyle, about some cheaper uh, or really just lesser owned wide receivers right now. 
again, I can't stress it enough. We will get changes in ownership throughout the week, but it's fun to take an early look at this. Is there anyone right now when we're talking about pairing them with a quarterback that isn't getting a ton of looks that probably could position themselves to have a really big game and, and does have the ceiling, as Matt just pointed out, to win you the Millie Maker or win you a tournament for that matter? Yeah, so I think we like we started, I was thinking about cheap options in terms of price, and then I realized that DeAndre Hopkins only 6,800, and most importantly, we haven't projected like sub 7% ownership. This is a game that I actually like, like the San Francisco defense is great. It carried them to a Super Bowl, but we saw last year, like Kyler Murray doesn't really care about your defense too much. He had back-to-back or the two times he played San Francisco, both top 10 fantasy QB finishes on the entire week, let alone the slate. He was a guy that his legs really just like, they, they stand to beat even the best pass rushes. And this is a game with, like, I think a top five total on the slate. They're projected to be dogs, and they kept it reasonably close. They kept it, like, the perfect amount of close in the two times they met where they were trailing the whole game but not getting absolutely buried like they were still a productive team. So I would love to get me some DeAndre Hopkins, even Christian Kirk, run it back with Kyler Murray, obviously. And then I think it leaves you open to maybe, you know, paying up chalk at George Kittle. Maybe you could go with Raheem Mostert. I think I'd be more likely to, to maybe go even Brandon Ayuk if I want to run that back. Ayuk appears to be the most healthy receiver they have. I'm not going to say he's 100%, but I also saw that there was a beat report that said it would not be surprising if he ended up leading all of their receivers in receiving yards, targets, catches, et cetera, at the end of the year. Given this Debo Samuel injury, I am I'm positive that if Debo Samuel plays, he's not going to be 100%. His timetable to return initially set him to almost certainly be on the pup list. The fact that he could be active in week one is miraculous, but it doesn't make me feel good about the, you know, the amount of snaps he's going to play and how effective he'll be. That leads me to Brandon Ayuk, even if he's not at 100%. I think he'll be close enough to the point where if he's there, like he's going to be their only good receiver outside of obviously George Kittle. So I would be so inclined to get just a lot of Arizona in my lineups because I think they're going to be so under-owned relative to the upside you get with a guy like Kyler Murray now getting DeAndre Hopkins in the fold. And even Christian Kirk had the one incredible game last year. So if I'm looking low-owned guys at receiver, that's the game for me. I talked about Hopkins extensively yesterday as well six sub 7k first of all for one of the most the four most elite players one of those preeminent wide receivers in the league is 6800 i get it's a tough matchup but richard sherman stays on one side of the field for like 95 percent of the snaps he plays if, if you don't think kingsbury is going to find ways to move hopkins around uh to, to find ways to get him involved you're insane and as much as i love larry fitzgerald and his career that guy is old, man. He does not have a ton left in the tank. Kyle, who do you say we look at for some lesser-owned stacks? Because it feels like every single week, maybe you'll get one or two where all the chalk goes off and, and, and everything goes as planned. The consensus and the group think most of the time doesn't, fit, doesn't pan out the way you expected it to. And what you see is teams like Kyle just said, Arizona against San Francisco, that game stack ends up going off. Or you'll get a Baltimore-Cleveland game that ends up going off. Because where there's a lot of talent, sometimes the, the something has to give. Good defenses, good offenses. Sometimes the good offense wins out. Yeah, for me, like like good offense wins out very often. We saw it like the you know the Chiefs never had a particularly special defense, and they just didn't care. They buried you every time. We saw that in the Super Bowl. Just good offense, more often than not, not always. Good offense typically wins out. And for me, I think the. Uh, the Carolina offense actually could be a sneaky good offense. Like Teddy Bridgewater, not known to be aggressive, but he was efficient. He was like one of the top passers on deep ball rate last year. 
he just wasn't able to do that or didn't get the chances to do that as much. I think he's an incredibly efficient quarterback, if not maybe the most, you know, not the most aggressive, sure. But I also think maybe that'd be an interesting way to leverage Christian McCaffrey ownership is to go with, you know, if Curtis Samuel is your guy, go with Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, I think one of the, the best up and coming receivers had this incredible profile coming out of college, paired it with just dominant game breaking athleticism and plays kind of like a running back. Like he's got that kind of build. So I think you could go on that side of this Carolina game, uh, a sneaky high total too for two offenses that maybe don't get people excited. But I think we see this Carolina franchise just absolutely turn it around this year. Maybe that doesn't translate to wins, but I think it translates to offensive production under Teddy Bridgewater. And there's even some, some interesting runback options. Henry Ruggs, one of the like enters the league as maybe the fastest player in the NFL, a guy who could absolutely break a terrible Carolina defense, an absolutely awful, awful Carolina defense. So I think there are a lot of loan owned options. You could even, you could even stack Derek Carr. I don't love Derek Carr, but he's, he's an efficient, he's sort of, you know, Teddy Bridgewater-esque in that way, not aggressive, but efficient. I love his weapons. So I think both sides of this game are going to go under owned relative to, you know, Seattle, Atlanta relative to the New Orleans game. And I think you could stack either side of this game and come out making a lot of money. All right. Talk to me, Matt. What do we got here? Yeah, I think those are your primary games you want to look at. This Carolina-Las Vegas game, it kind of differs from what you said where you want explosive offenses. I do not think Teddy Bridgewater is any elite stacking option. He only eclipsed 250 yards twice last year, and he only contributed to two 100-yard receiving games in you know his entire six games played there, both Michael Thomas. The reason you like this game is because of how bad they are. You know, Both defenses are horrific, particularly for the Las Vegas side. This is the Carolina secondary. You have Dante Jackson, who was benched at times last year. Then you have a fourth-round rookie in Troy Pride coming out of Notre Dame. And then you have Corn Elder, who's played 63 career snaps in two years. He's faced four targets, given up three receptions, 63 yards, and two touchdowns. So we, we talked about Derek Carr a little bit here and Henry Ruggs. I think that's a potential stacking option with a little more upside. You know, Derek Carr himself, conversely, if you compare him to Teddy Bridgewater, he only eclipsed 300 yards on one occasion last year, but he eclipsed 285 on five other occasions. I think he's a guy that does have a little more upside than Bridgewater. And if you're playing McCaffrey, these are nice low owned stacks right now. Ruggs is projected sub 2%. Again, these change, but that's an incredible leverage play. Let's dive into game stack ownership here. We've, we've pretty much teased it throughout the show. Now let's come full circle and, and really try and hammer this down. Matt sticking with you. We already know, or at least we have a pretty good indication of, of what games are going to be the most popular. All three of us have already talked about a number of games that probably should be more popular than they are. Uh, we have a top stack tool that was, was it, let me see if it was updated. That would be awesome if we have it updated for now. Uh, awesome most top DFS stacks. No, it's not updated yet. It should be by today or tomorrow. But my guess, Matt, is that you'll see uh, Atlanta, Seattle up there. You'll see Tampa Bay and, and New Orleans. Again, we, we did touch on a lot of this. And this is not to say that I'm just going to be getting away from those entirely. That's it's not the wise move to make. But what about um, what about certain spots where a lot of there, there's not a there's not really myriad weapons to choose from, like Green Bay and Minnesota, where the offense is almost certainly going to be concentrated between a few players. Now, I can't say I'm stoked about this game, but I want to hit on ones that we haven't touched on yet. So with Green Bay, you've got guys like Aaron Jones, if you ran that back in, in a, in a uh, Kirk Cousins stack, and then you have Devontae Adams, you have Aaron Rodgers, and then on the other side, you, you, you have 
Adam Thielen and, and Kirk Cousins and, and Dalvin Cook and and essentially a few other guys that that could kind of rise above the rest this season. Maybe it'll be Irv Smith Jr., who's a talented pass catcher, very young player in his second year, or it could be uh, Justin Jefferson, another first-round pick. But nobody that's really solidified themselves uh, as as reliable targets and this Minnesota team and green Bay as well for that matter. Yeah. And you know, if you do want to take a piece of some of the higher owned guys in these games, I think there's ways to do it. You know, maybe in the Seattle Atlanta game, if you want to run a double stack, something we know is constantly being under owned relative to how well it scores and how often it's in the top one percentile. That's maybe one way you could get a little different while keeping some ownership on those, those high owned games. But as far as green Bay, Minnesota goes, I think there's a lot of merit to stacking the pass games on each side. Minnesota in particularly, or in particular, excuse me, they're losing four starting defensive backs. Now they're coming into the season with just a few players here with any sort of, of starting time. Mike Hughes has five career starts. Holden Hill has four career starts and the favorite to play the nickel. They're looking at two rookies and Jeff Gladney and Cam Dantzler. If you want to avoid Devonte Adams, Alan Lazard's going to have a nice matchup against one of those guys. Aaron Rodgers, if you want to even run an Adams-Rodgers stack, I think that'll go a little lower owned relative to the field. And then on the other side, for Kirk Cousins, the best matchup here is probably against Green Bay's secondary as well that's replacing their nickel corner in Tremont Williams. So I love Thielen here. I think this is a sneaky game stack option like you mentioned. Yeah, and Xavier Rhodes, Kyle, last year was, I'd say, pretty dis- pretty underwhelming by all metrics. Uh, Matt just listed basically everything they're doing in the secondary, is this going overlooked? I mean, that's a great breakdown, Matt, but let me ask Kyle, is it going overlooked that Minnesota, a team that you know, heading it, that generally we look at as, Hey, they're a pretty, they're a pretty stout defense, formidable on both sides on the ground and through the air. Are we maybe ignoring them uh, or ignoring the, the past defense that potentially they will be a lot worse than advertised. And maybe that's going unlook or over overlooked in the ownership projections as well yeah i definitely think especially like on the whole when you look at like betting markets i do think people are just underrepresenting how dismantled this defensive unit is for minnesota especially in the secondary there's been a lot of good work to show that as much as like like sacks are fun and we usually see them on the broadcast secondary is the most important factor in defensive success and they have none of it they're gonna have no no secondary whatsoever to speak of no experience on this team no continuity on this team in terms of their secondary so yeah i do think on the whole the the minnesota secondary is going to be like well below average this year especially relative to what people think it is going to be because they have such a reputation for having such a great secondary and defense overall that just i don't think that'll be the case this year my only concern with green bay would be that their their offseason moves kind of indicate they're willing to just move on from what they used to be taking Jordan Love, taking a pure running back, no receiving upside, in my opinion, and then an age back. Do they just want to Do they just want to grind out games with an above-average defense and a good run game? I'm not sure that that's not what they want to do. So I'd be a little concerned investing in this team. But overall, I do think at least maybe I'm just not willing to go deeper than Devontae Adams because I know I can secure targets. Maybe I'm just afraid of dipping my toes into the ugly Alan Lazard waters. But uh, Devontae Adams, good for me. The rest of the guys, Aaron Jones as well, another great play. I don't know if I'm willing to go like full game stack. Yeah. You dip your toes into those waters. You're getting bit. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I think running out just a naked Devonte Adams makes sense. Could you see it be, like I said, the offenses are so concentrated here where I wouldn't be surprised to see Devonte Adams and, and Adam Thielen both have monster games, Kyle, but 
not really see much production from either quarterback where you're not winning tournaments with them. But if you had Thielen and Adams in a, in a lineup, just run them naked, run them individually, maybe it's a game stack, but you managed to fit them in with a cheap game stack for another team that that could end up being profitable. Uh, it's just a matter of whether lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Or not this game is great as a whole or as individual plays, and I think it is a very good game from an individual standpoint but not collectively. Yeah, you actually, that's, you make a great point that oftentimes, or at least you allude to some great points, that oftentimes when we see like a quarterback be the Millie Maker winner, they don't necessarily bring up their wide receiver one. Wide receiver ones are typically just good. Like like Adam Thielen and, and Devontae Adams, they probably like don't necessarily need their respective quarterbacks to go off. It's these deeper options that really get brought up. It's typically in terms of the salary you spend, you run a quarterback and your second spent receiver because those are the guys that get lifted by an incredible Aaron Rodgers game. And if I'm not calling an incredible Aaron Rodgers game, I'm definitely not going for a guy like Alan Zard. And on the on the flip side, you still need to like one stack typically isn't good enough, especially in like a, a full open slate like this where we get everything but the island games. You typically have to run another stack on top of if I want to run like my, my Kyler Murray stack. That's not the only game I'm going to be targeting. So I actually love the exact point you're making. Maybe you just go for a dueling Adam Thielen versus Devontae Adams game. I actually think I'm probably going to have a, a lot of that this week because of what we're talking about right now. I think so too. And our ownership speaks to it as well, because we have Devonte Adams projected for more fantasy points than Rogers. Uh, and that makes plenty of sense. A lot of times you're not going to see that, but we have Thielen at 17 and cousins at 16. So we have both number one receivers projected for more fantasy points than their respective quarterbacks. Um, I think you're going to see some similarities with this Washington football team as well, Matt. And if you are running stacks here, it's going to be, very, very predictable which way people are running them back. Likely aren't going to see a lot of Washington stacks running it back with one Eagles player, but more so, and if you do, it's going to be what, Gibson and McLaurin? You're going to see very, very likely Carson Wentz with maybe Djax or Goddard or um, or, or uh, Zach Ertz, potentially even Miles Sanders mixed in there. Again, he is a talented route runner, talented pass catcher, and then ran back with one of uh, Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin. I think you'll probably see pretty um, pretty predictable stacks here between the Eagles and Washington. Yeah, this is kind of a, a sneaky game, too. I think you're dealing with two secondaries or two defenses, I should say, that are pass finals. And one thing I want to point out when we're talking about these games with, you know, 46 and 43 point totals, the Packers, the, the Eagles, the Washington games like this, you know, like when you play Aaron Rodgers, you know, more than likely that stack's not going to hit. You play him because he's low owned in the event that he does have a big game with Adams and Lazard. You're the one guy that has it essentially, you know, you're among the 5% of people that have it, but going back to this Washington Philadelphia game, I think there are interesting stacks on the Washington side running this back, or, you know, if you're running a Philly stack, picking a one-off on the other side, unlike the green Bay offense, a lot of offenses that we've talked about so far, we don't know exactly how the target distribution is going to go in Washington. They have a completely new coaching staff, a new offensive coordinator in Scott Turner. 
their starting three wide receivers right now projected to be Terry McLaurin, Steven Sims, and I'm pretty sure they're going to run out Dontrell Inman, but we saw Sims pop off for some games last year. He'll be running in the slots. I mean, we'll see how this target share shakes out, but there are interesting options here. All right, let's close it out with this, fellas. We've gone about an hour. I could keep going all day, but we've got a lot more strategy shows to do throughout the week. Uh, and just take a, a quick peek at a couple of games we haven't hit on yet. One of them, Kyle, that could be fascinating is Cincinnati and the L.A. Chargers. You're not going to hear a lot about this game, and much of that reason is that Tarod Taylor uh, is a low-production, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it anyway, quote-unquote, game-managing quarterback, it's crazy because he's got a stable of weapons, right? It, it, one of the one of the deepest offenses in the league has to be the Chargers, just not at a quarterback. From Hunter Henry to Austin Eckler to Mike Williams to Keenan Allen, they've got a ton of capable bodies that can put up monster games and then flip it around to the other side. Who knows if Joe Burrow is productive in this week one start against the, the, uh, the Chargers, who – Look, they lost a great safety for the season, but still have a very strong secondary. A.J. Green, when healthy, is elite. And Tyler Boyd is also a very talented guy. So this game is not without very talented uh, splash play making guys, but it is going pretty much without ownership. And I think much of that has to deal or is, is dealing with the, the uncertainty surrounding both quarterback positions. Yeah, so I'll spin you the positive because I, I'm not like I'm not super interested because I, I agree that like every every offense starts with its quarterback. Tyrod Taylor, especially, is, is probably just going to convert a lot of dropbacks into rush attempts. That's one thing he did. Like it's his signature move. Is he's an incredible rusher? I think if you know if you look at like a points per dollar basis, it's probably a great value because he gets like basically a touchdown with his legs every game, rushing at like 35 yards, scoring a touchdown every three or four games. But that doesn't bode well for this offense specifically. And Joe Burrow on the other side, I love. But I do think in a, in a bad offseason for rookies, maybe you don't want to trot him out in week one. On the upside, though, like you said, the weapons for Terod Taylor are incredible. And we saw in the, I think, have one Pro Bowl season, in that season, he was one of the most efficient deep passers in the league, despite having a moniker, like you said. It's, well, the reason you probably don't like it is this is not necessarily true. He's not a game manager in the sense of he can hit, he can hit passes at all levels yeah. of the field. He did it extremely well in his Pro Bowl season, and he did it, you know, three years for the Bills. So I like his talent, but I do think the big negative is that he just doesn't throw the ball enough because of what he does with his legs. So I think this game is interesting, and I could see us looking back and being like, how could we not see that Joe Burrow was just like the MFing truth? Like he was so good in that final season. His weapons are all set up. This offensive line is projected to get a little better with some returning starters. So I could see us looking back and saying, why didn't we stack this game? But for me, the uncertainty around the quarterback play, and I'm actually fairly certain we know what Tyrod Taylor is, and all of those factors, I'm, I'm not super interested, especially on a slate where I think there are so many good games, but I think this one has upside. And Matt, to expand on, on what Kyle said, feel free to put your own spin on it, but it is one of those games where if we looked back and it went off and it was in the Millie Maker winning lineup, you're never going to look at it and say, oh man, what a fluke that Keenan Allen went off or, or uh, you know, AJ Green will never do that again, right? These guys are all stellar talents, which is why I always get a little bit nervous getting away from games because if these quarterbacks do put up decent performances, all of their weapons are going to help them piece together a solid outing. But 
all in all, maybe this game just isn't worth taking those risks. Where do you stand on it? I'm willing to take some shots. I think we'll see a condensed target share in Los Angeles because of the injury to Mike Williams. Keenan Allen's really the only healthy receiver outside of Hunter Henry. It looks like they're going to trot out some combination of Joe Reed and Jalen Guyton, a second-year uh, UDFA. Eckler, of course, catches passes. But you're looking at a Cincinnati defense. The strength of it is their run defense. They're struggling with their defensive backfield. They lose a number of guys. They already lost Trey Waynes this year. I think if you want to target a guy like Keenan Allen, it sets up a little bit here to be a nice under-owned play, someone who could see elevated target share with the injuries they have against a secondary that's dealing with a lot of injuries already. I mean, the, the Cincinnati run defense was banged up last year. They have Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, DJ Reader, and Sam Hubbard. Those are all above average run defenders any way you look at it. All right, let's do this. We hit on most of these. Both of you guys pick a game that we haven't touched on yet. Give us your take, whether you love it from low ownership, whether you think it's too high owned, but specifically something we haven't touched on. We haven't gotten Matt yet to Miami, New England, and maybe that's for good reason. We haven't touched on Chicago, Detroit. I, Chicago and, and Pagano are doing something that is going to make passing against this team difficult. They have two very good rushers that are going to get to the quarterback, and they're just going to drop a ton of guys into coverage and make life tough for opposing passers. So, um, Matt, let's stick with you, and then Kyle, we'll close it with you. What are we doing with Chicago and Detroit with someone in Matt Stafford who was pacing 5,000 yards and almost 40 touchdowns last season? This goes overlooked all the time. This guy was on pace for a monster season along with Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, TJ Hawkinson going into his second year. But the matchup is a little bit concerning to me. Uh, does it warrant more attention than we're giving it? I think it does. It's a game we've actually seen the total rise. You know, we talked about some games already. The Tampa Bay-New Orleans game, that total's falling. This one's going the other way. And especially on the Detroit side, you touched on it already. This team was just far more efficient with Matthew Stafford at the helm. He was on pace for nearly 5,000 yards, 38 scores. He was second in yards per attempt while still completing over 64% of his passes. It's a team that has a pretty good offensive line. They're replacing the right side, but the left side is locked in, and they they do have Vitae coming over from the Eagles and uh, a rookie in Jackson who should man that right side. If they can take care of that Chicago edge rush, the Chicago secondary actually isn't that scary, I think. Both Kyle Fuller and their slot corner buster screen were up and down at times. Kyle Fuller allowed almost 900 yards receiving in his coverage, and then they're looking to second-round rookie Jalen Johnson who missed the entire offseason after shoulder surgery. They initially wanted to ease him into action, but their, their corner that was pegged to start there, Artie Burns, tore his ACL and out for the year. So they're going to have to thrust Jalen Johnson into action right away. If Detroit can manufacture some pass protection here, I think these receivers can get open. You could see a low on Galladay at 6.2K on DraftKings. You know, he's in that mid-price range we talked about. There's some guys to at least look at. All right, good stuff. Kyle, Wrap us up with Chicago, Detroit, and then a game of your choosing that we've yet to touch on. Yeah, I actually think, I mean, you mentioned it. This team was like, they were guns ablazing with Stafford. Like like you said, nearly 5,000 yards, nearly 40 touchdowns, pace for Stafford through half the season. As far as NFL samples, I don't know, that's not awful. And I think a reason we saw that is because what were they going to do with their running backs? Carry on Johnson banged up and a guy that they've been reluctant to give the workload to. We're basically getting that same situation to enter week one again. Now DeAndre Swift seems like a push to play week one. Certainly won't get a lot of run if he's healthy. 
back to carry on Johnson and, and dusty old Adrian Peterson, they're probably going to run out the same philosophy they did last year that we've got a good quarterback. We don't have the running back room we desire to have. Let's throw the ball as much as we can. That's what they did last year. So for me, that is the thing I like about this game. I don't like that. I don't know. How are they going to, how are Chicago going to compete with them? I, Mitch Trubisky certainly isn't going to compete with Matthew Stafford. In my opinion, he's not, not very good at all. But the, the upside is that Allen Robinson, one of the premier target hogs in the league, he, we saw last year, it doesn't matter if he has Mitchell Trubisky. So your run back can just be Allen Robinson if you choose to stack this game. Overall, though, I do want to stack games that I think both teams can compete for scoring points, whereas in this game, I think one team, in terms of offensive upside, one team buries the other. The Miami game, we're maybe, the, maybe the weirdest game, maybe we haven't talked about it, is because what do you make of a team losing Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, and going to Cam Newton, maybe the most opposite quarterback, Tom Brady, a reputation as a statue in the pocket, and Cam Newton, the exact opposite. I will say, though, that I think it goes a bit underrated how we saw in 2018 Cam Newton, lowest A dot of his career, highest completion percentage over expectation of his career. That was his last healthy season. He is capable of being an efficient short yardage passer. He was a he was a, like a dink and dunk passer his final season, his final healthy season at least, in Carolina. I think that gives him a massive edge in switching systems to this Bill Belichick, this New England offense. I think it'll go underrated. People think of him as this deep passer because in his prime, that's what he was. But he made an efficient and quick change to being a dink and dunk passer. That is going to be great for an offense that we talk about condensed offenses. This may end up being one of the most condensed offenses. We saw last year, Nikhil Harry, an absolute bust that left only Julian Edelman and James White. Now we're seeing Damian Harris out for week one on IR. We're seeing Sony Michelle not expected to get this full workload going into week one, still nicked up a bit. It is going to be the James White and Julian Edelman show, maybe more so than any other condensed offense in the league against the Miami defense that is improving, but they're bad. They're still bad. They're well below average. So for me, I think that is why you would want to target this game. And the runback is pretty reasonable, too. You're scared of the New England defense, but you do love how gung-ho Ryan Fitzpatrick is to just sling it out there. And it's pretty easy. It's Preston Williams, if you like Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, or Mike Gusecki. So both sides a bit condensed. One side, I think, goes underrated in how easily it will be for Cam Newton to transition, not to becoming Tom Brady, but to playing a similar style. I don't think this offense is going to need half a season to gel because of what we saw Cam Newton do in his final season or his final healthy season in Carolina. No concern with the Stefan Gilmore shadow coverage on Parker. Oh no, I'm very concerned with that. That's why I'm not super oh, okay. interested in this game. <laughs> I think it, oh. <laughs> it's viable to go to Devonte Parker because even we saw their final game against new England, Fitzpatrick goes well over 300 yards. Like it is yeah. possible to beat good defenses. He'll is it hard? It, yeah, it wouldn't shock me. It's hard, but it can happen. And that's why if you're stacking this game, you're probably going to get a low-owned Devontae Parker on the run back. I, maybe I'd be, are you, are you interested in Preston Williams? He's maybe the guy who would benefit the most from Devontae Parker getting shut down. I am. And, you know, I said we'd close it out, but I'll throw this to you as well, Matt. And then we'll shut it down. We're just having such a good time here on the NFL Strategy Show. Uh, Preston Williams last year, it, if you look at the numbers, the splits for Mike Gusecki with Williams on and off the field were, were, were a little bit alarming. Now, I like to attribute a lot of that to the fact that Mike Gusecki was in his second season and the maturation process takes a while and he finally started to come into his own and they finally started to utilize him more. Uh, and maybe there's some maybe there's some legitimacy to the fact that Preston Williams took opportunities away from Mike Gusecki. I'm sure to some extent he did because he played well. But um, yeah, I, I guess, Matt, the question is, 
how much faith do you have in somebody like J.C. Jackson uh, to shut down Preston Williams? Pro Football Focus has both of these for Gilmore and Jackson as shadow coverage situations. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I do think the New England defense is a little bit overrated last year. They lost a ton of their pass rush. They were eight. And they played such dog shit teams. Yeah. <laughs> like eight or nine. Let's, be, let's call a spade a spade here. For real, they were eighth in adjusted sack rate. They lose Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, and uh, Dante Hightower, some to opt out, some to free agency. Now, we talked about the formidable secondary. We have seen them beat at times. As far as Jasicki goes, I think he was just kind of working into an expanded role. I was digging into this guy a little bit. I don't think he really affects Parker and Williams that much. I mean, the target share should decrease a little bit, but Gasicki ran the most slot routes of any tight end since Tony Gonzalez played. That's just absolutely ridiculous volume. And on the New England side, I think we're selling Cam Newton short a little bit. Part of the reason that completion percentage was so high and that ADOT was so low, he did have a shoulder injury that year. He had it surgically corrected. He was dealing with it the entire year. If we want to look at potential stacking options for him, I think you could use James White. He's someone who should see an increased workload with Sony Michelle reportedly just going to be eased back into action. He just came off pup not that long ago. We already know Julian Edelman's target share is going to be extremely high. He had 153 targets last year despite aging. So I think you could look at a number of options here. We know Miami's pass rush is non-existent. So Cam Newton should have time to throw. He's capable of rushing at least 448 yards in his eight healthy seasons. So there, there are things to like here. It's a tunnel that I don't hate either. I actually kind of like the over a little bit in this game. Okay. Yeah. Gasecki also had the second most deep targets last year of, of any tight end. Uh, most, if you take out Mark Andrews, cause he just bombs away in, in Baltimore with him, but yeah, 15 targets of 20 plus yards for Mike Gasecki last season. He really was, was unable to convert many of them. You can thank quarterback play. You can thank him not being, Either way, only five of 15. But if he's going to be used, as you said, in the slot, if he's also going to be used on deep attempts, Mike Gusecki does have a pretty encouraging ceiling. So uh, I don't think any of us are saying load up on Miami and, and New England and make this your highest owned game stack. But don't, don't let it go overlooked entirely. And we all know week one is one of the most unpredictable times of the season. Uh, we'll learn a lot. But it's going to take a couple of weeks before we finally start to see which which teams are for real and which teams aren't. And you're never going to get everything right. So appreciate you guys, as always, for hanging out. Hit that thumbs up before you go. We got almost 400 watching, 78 likes. We can do better than that. It really helps us a ton, uh, helps us combat that YouTube algorithm, get more eyeballs on the pages, on the videos, so we can keep putting free content out there. We appreciate you. It's the easiest way to help support us. Subscribe, hit that notification bell as well. And remember, Sleeper, S-L-E-E-P-E-R, is the promo code good through the end of today. Get 25% off a monthly NFL Awesome O Plus package, plus the NFL Draft Kit for free, plus a free $35 credit to FFPC to draft some best ball teams before we get underway tomorrow or tomorrow evening. For Matt, Kyle, myself, Laffy, we'll see you back here next Wednesday the three of us, and tomorrow I'll be here with Matt Savoka breaking down all of the matchups for week one in the NFL. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.